Good morning, dear listeners. Unfortunately, due to various reasons, we won't be having our regular episode today. Instead, we are doing a rebroadcast of one of our more in-depth interviews and popular ones featured on the Core Report Weekend Edition. But for sure, we'll be back in a day or two with the latest in business, technology, and manufacturing. So do make sure you're subscribed to get notified on all our latest episodes. This is the weekend edition of the Core Report. Can India play a much bigger role in the global trade ecosystem? Can it build further on its exports base? And how much further, particularly in what we call merchandise exports or physical exports? And finally, all this, can it lead to more jobs? And how many of these jobs over time? To discuss this, I'm joined today by Arvind Panagriya, Professor of Economics and the Jagdish Bhagwati Professor of Indian Political Economy at Columbia University. Mr. Panagriya was also the first Vice Chairman of the Niti Aayog, Government of India, in the rank of a Cabinet Minister. He's also served as India's G20 Sherpa, and he was a former Chief Economist of the Asian Development Bank and on the Faculty of the Department of Economics at the University of Maryland at College Park. He's also worked in the World Bank, IMF, and holds a PhD degree in economics from Princeton University. He's also authored more than 15 books, and this book, India, the Emerging Giant, 2008, was listed as a top pick of 2008 by The Economist. Mr. Panagre, thank you so much for joining me uh, today on the Core Report Weekend Edition. So let me pose a couple of broader questions to you from the India context and the global situation. So firstly, in India, we are seeing merchandise exports now fall. It fell 22% year on year to about $33 billion in June. This is uh, contracting consistently for five months now. This has been, of course, driven partly by or maybe largely by a decline in commodity prices. So that's affecting us, but that's also helping us elsewhere because input costs for companies are going down, margins are better, consumers are benefiting and so on. But I am coming back to trade with our own role in trade seemingly going down because we are obviously uh, the value of exports is going down. Where do we stand as India? But in the context of maybe a larger global landscape of trade at this point, given two or three things, and then I'll stop uh, with this long question. One is, of course, the geopolitical situation in a broad sense. That's the, let's say, from an India point of view, again, India, China and the United States. And second is, of course, the Ukraine-Russia war and the impact it's had on so many things. So that's really the foundation for what I would like you to touch upon and start perhaps with the trade landscape as you see it in a global context and then on to India. Thank you, Mr. Govindaraj. My pleasure to be with you. Okay, so let me begin with the question. On the falling exports, let me say that I look at these figures in a much longer-term context, monthly figures can see a decline. And in this case, of course, you have yourself provided a good explanation that the commodity prices have been declining and that would impact the value of exports as also value of imports. Most likely, you know, what we would also observe is that the value of imports would be correspondingly declining as well. To me, it is the longer term prospects that worry the most or that concern me the most. Now, where we stand, you know, how do I see this unfold? First of all, a common concern, of course, is expressed about what is going on geopolitically and more generally on the global markets. That part I have always maintained is, to me, not a big source of worry. 
for the following reason. I come to geopolitics in a minute, but first, what has been the kind of very recent history? If I look at these longer-term trends, pre-COVID peak of global total exports was in 2018. And that was a figure of about $19 trillion total global exports, that is to the merchandise. Then there was $6 trillion of services exports again. So altogether, $25 trillion pre-COVID peak in the year 2018. Now look at year 2022. By year 2022, which, you know, is coming out of COVID and all in the merchandise exports have bumped up to about $25 trillion from $19 trillion, and services exports have bumped up from $6 trillion to $7 trillion. So now the global marketplace total exports is about $32 trillion compared with what was about $25 trillion. So it is a large economy. It is a large market. Compare that to India's GDP, for example, it's about $3.4 trillion now in the year 22-23. And so no matter how one likes to kind of look at the geopolitics, etc., the one fact that, is, that remains to me is that the global marketplace, even if it were to decline by some 5-10% in the years to come, it will remain a very large marketplace. So what really matters is how large a slice of that very large pie India is able to get for itself. Currently, it's very small. In the exports, we are about 1.8% our share in the global exports. On import side, we are about 2.5%, little over 2.5%. That's for merchandise. Services, we are about 4% of the total global exports. So enormous scope, you know, compare that to the China, which is about 13 to 14% for merchandise exports. Services, China is larger than us, but not much larger. So that is where we stand. I think, you know, enormous scope. Now, if, you know, we can talk about the, uh, Ukraine, Russia, if you wish, and, and, and also in uh, US-China. Yeah, so we'll come to Ukraine, Russia in a little bit. So what you're saying is that the overall trade pie, that's the global trade pie, has grown. But it seems to me that shares have again shifted around. So India perhaps does not have the same share it even had in 2018. Could that be correct? Uh, no, I think we're about where we were. So it's 1.8. We have not exceeded 1.8. And that's roughly where we stand currently for the year 2022. Right. So India has not grown in this pie, but has maintained the same share. So why is that? I mean, broadly. Well, this is where I think, you know, our internal policies are still not fully conducive to rapid growth in exports. I think we are decent, but not conducive to rapid growth. What is missing is, one, you know, 2018, uh, we had raised a lot of the, the custom duties. And many of these even include many inputs, you know, that go into the production of the final products and so forth. So that naturally works towards reducing trade. Meaning, although these are duties on imports and you might think that you know, reduction in imports is not going to impact exports, but it doesn't work that way. At the end of the day, when you try to expand exports, resources flow out of somewhere and that somewhere is also the export industries. And therefore, even though you're restricting imports, it also means restricting the exports. So that's one factor at work. The second is the exchange rate. I still think that our exchange rate rupee is a bit overvalued. Some correction has happened but we need a bit more correction. And to me, I think the exchange rate is absolutely critical. You look at any country which has done well on exports, you know, expanding rapidly at paces of 15%, 18% a year on a sustained basis, 
these are countries which keep the domestic currency very competitive and we have consistently kind of a bit overvalued the rupee so that is the other major factor i think you know and the third of course you know we need to do more free trade agreements uh, that is for looking ahead yeah and and you've talked about this in the past as well i think you've said basically that we should roll back tariffs because after many many years since we started in 91 uh, we've actually now increased the level of protection as you pointed out you also said that you know one should strike more free trade deals with major economies and trade blocks and also cut back on anti dumping so anyway anti dumping is something that is maybe more situational but are you also linking our let's say static share in world trade with our increase in tariffs or protectionism well look the level of the share right the level itself as opposed to how it changes over time is also a function of the economy size we are still 3.4 trillion dollar economy china is four times us so you know remember that even with the same exports to gdp ratio for india if gdp were to become four times then our exports would also be at the same exports to gdp ratio be four times of what they are and that of course means 1.8 times 4 uh, it's not quite 8% but it's close to about 7% so the economic size also matters for the level but still you know even if we do that correction we are well below china's and there of course the old impact of the policies we followed starting from the 1950s they're still remaining because one of my favorite theme is that uh, we have not reoriented restructured the economy towards the factor which is most abundant in our country which is labor I means china was very quick in the 80s and by mid 90s to reorient its entire economy from this heavy industry capital intensive industries towards the labor intensive industries we have not successfully done that we were so slow you know as late as mid 2000s mean in 2005 6 we had still knocked knocked down completely the small scale industries reservation which is where the labor intensive industries were sitting then we have not done the labor laws still you know all the 2019 we passed all the four codes but we have not implemented them they have not been notified yet so as a result if you look at our economic structure this heavily capital intensive or skilled labor intensive what are the successful industries you know you got petroleum refining you got machinery industry you got chemical industry you got pharmaceutical industry you got it industry you got finance industry all either skilled labor intensive or capital intensive you are not making use of the big factor of production you got which is the labor that is the reason we are not as export oriented as china was or has been so you're saying that there is no real linkage between our ability to grow or not grow in the global trade pie and the level of import tariffs that we have or the level of protection that we've now imposed on ourselves no 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 that's not what i'm saying of course the, the tariffs do matter does that make us more uncompetitive does that make us less of a player in the international market is my question yeah 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 look i mean it's very simple just think of the extreme suppose you were to raise the tariffs to a level where your imports are zero there will be no reason to export there will be absolutely no reason to export that is what we did for about 4 5 decades pre 1991 i mean if you go to 1970 imports were 4% of the gdp exports were therefore even less than 4% of the gdp so of course the level of protection makes a big huge difference right so that's i think that's a that's a very good illustration for a student like me so let me come to the point about the labor linked industries and growth there again this is an issue that you've talked about in the past as well i think the question is really where we are today 
so if i may quote a article that appeared in the economist and it talks about the manufacturing delusion and essentially it argues that you know countries like india and china the industry share of economic output has been roughly the same or rather is roughly the same today as it was about 3 decades ago that's one second is even in the west it was about uh, 19% in 1997 it's down to about 16% today we're talking about manufacturing so if that's the case i mean that's assuming you agree with this proposition is manufacturing or labor linked manufacturing the way out at this point of time as we speak today yeah you know so there is a lot of this skepticism first of all of course if you look at the western economies they are highly capital abundant economies they have no reason to be doing i mean that not even doing as much manufacturing as china or south korea or, or taiwan are doing but for them to do labor intensive manufacturing process neither here nor there so their manufacturing share being low at the level where we are of course tells me nothing at all i have to compare myself to the labor abundant economies i can look at where korea was you know let's say 1980 or 1970 or i can look at where taiwan was or i can look at where singapore was at one point or where china has been in last three four decades so if i compare with that i am well below their levels in my share of manufacturing in the gdp and i return to the theme that in the end it all has to do with the fact that we started as did china of course initially in the 1950s with very heavy industry kind of approach to development china got out of it after then shopping came along we started in 91 but we did open up the industries and so growth did happen a lot faster than it had happened before but we did not restructure the economy because a lot of the other regulation remained in place I mean, you can't be in the industries in which genuinely your factor and dominance are not pushing you towards comparative advantage with set of distortions that had existed from the past which has left you there so you're not going to become a gigantic exporter in those products but your scope really remains still with such a large labor force but you know the thing is that in the psyche of everybody whether i look at the businessmen in india whether i look at the policy makers in india whether i look at intellectuals in india they all want to do the high tech stuff they all want to do high tech stuff you know industries like the clothing industry the footwear industry the furniture industry the everyday light manufacturers the kitchenware that we use they are not on at least our leadership's minds but in the end you know if you look at the chinese exports from the 80s and 90s that is what they exported even the electronics industry which is also relatively more labor intensive arrived in more like you know late 1990s and then it grows very rapidly you know in the 2000s china really explodes 2000s basically china was earning every year more to export than now then india's level of exports you know india's total exports often would fall short of the increasing annual increase in exports of china but the structure was very important so i remember visiting a toaster factory in shenzhen uh, in the early 2000s i mean and obviously they made so many toasters that they actually had a percentage of global toaster production and supplying to all the big oems including philips black and decker and so on at that time is that something that's replicable today is is really my question mr panagrad You see, this is a question we repeatedly say, or we use the expression like the ship has sailed or the bus has left or something. You know, <laughs> but ship resails all the time, and the bus le- another bus leaves. The, the, you know, <laughs> no. Let me put it this way: even in the Shenzhen example I quoted, I remember meeting the entrepreneur who ran it was classically a U.S. returned Chinese American who had come back to China and had set this up. So in India, there is no shortage of entrepreneurship. 
there are many entrepreneurs maybe let's say a good part of them are attracted to tech industries but there are many who are not and as we can see for example right now in initial public offers on the stock exchanges we are seeing fairly traditional companies who are raising money and growing and so on but these people are not getting into these industries that you speak of i completely agree with you actually you know mr goyran i'll tell you whenever i went to speak to cii occasionally i would sort of you know uh, tease them ask them you know who is harish auja nobody would know who is harish auja harish auja is the largest single employer in india you know about employing about 120000 people probably reliance total employs more but he is the largest exporter shahi exports of clothing from india nobody knows who is harish auja or most of them you know and when i only what i would tell them is that his son is married with uh, sonam kapoor then they quickly connect uh, but you know there is something intellectual about in the businessman also that somehow they i sometimes actually uh, refer to this as the brahmanical attitude of our businessmen too machines will do uh, refineries uh, will do it industry but you know stitching clothes is not for us making shoes is not for us something of that sort but you got to change that but there is a, a policy aspect to that also i mean i don't deny that for sure because that's a battle i've been fighting that first that small scale industries reservation took so long i mean believe it or not the last 20 items on that reservation list went out under prime minister modi so that's how long it took us to completely get rid of small scale industries reservation which were all labor intensive by the way they were all labor intensive so we really did a great job of hardwiring our businessmen to keep away from all labor intensive industries the labor laws still are a problem land is still a problem now you know these are industries by the way that operate on very small margins very highly competitive to survive for bangladesh a clothing industry the global marketplace is no joke they really have to work and so small things matter electricity prices if they are overly high i mean i talked to arish rao he says he would never dream of locating himself in tier 1 city will always go to tier 2 or tier 3 cities because that's where you can do the wages at which you are competitive with the global marketplace shy export supplies to all the major brand names in clothing industry but why is it that we have only one arish auja <laughs> another 20 arish aujas in the country uh, and i don't see that i fear so it's a combination also of the history the way we hardwired everybody and the policy so i'll come to policy so uh, we've said that yes india can have a larger share in the global trade market we can do that by really injecting more labor into labor intensive industries for which as you say we still have a lot of scope including in those industries that you pointed out so let's touch upon the last part which is the policy now some of the biggest policy boosts right now are happening via productivity linked incentives for example in a variety of industries but again as far as i know none of the ones that you've spoken of and these plis are giving let's say electric vehicle manufacturing companies or soon to be maybe pharmaceuticals air conditioning companies like lg companies like samsung for devices they've already started getting plis and they're benefiting from it because the production has started and they're able to supply in india but again none of these plis at this point at least seem to be touching the industries that you speak of yes i think there's a fact assuming that's that's a key policy input to me that's not the key policy i think you know to me fix the labor law i mean look PLI is is basically a second best that when the manufacturer comes in, I got this disability, I got that disability. It's a value. You know, we are not going to correct the disability, but we'll give you crutches, and then those crutches are the PLI. But I think we ought to really remove the disabilities themselves, and that is, you know, labor laws, obviously, 
but land land prices have to be fixed meaning not fixed but series of laws which are a problem you know why is land so expensive and if anybody is trying to assemble even a 50 acres worth of land piece contiguous pieces of land together it's a pretty serious challenge for the industry and this all goes back to number of things you know first land titles are not well defined also very importantly you know usually these industries want to locate on the periphery of a particular city and the periphery of the city is agricultural land there has to be conversion of that land into other uses and often it's a state level issue states often are very reluctant to do the conversion because the power of this is it resides with the revenue department of the state government and revenue departments don't want to let go that power should be transferred to the urban ministry in urban ministry has an interest in urbanization so they will be more willing to you know do the conversion but there are a number of these land restrictions that keep indian at the land in india incredibly expensive we use by the way you know on agriculture we compared to the overall global average as a proportion of total land area we are easily three times of the global average so a lot of our land is in agriculture actually and a lot of it is very inefficient agriculture because your half of your farms are less than half hectare so what are they going to produce you know it can't give living to even a family of five they have to do other things to make ends meet this is all links to me because in the end why are they doing these small little farms because they haven't got good job opportunities in the industry and services if we create good job opportunities in the industry and services which is through these labor intensive manufacturing activities they would themselves want to move i mean children of the farmers most of them want to be in the city they don't want to be doing the farming you know and particularly when the farm is only half hectare or less than 1 hectare they would rather do something else so we started out by talking about international trade and india's potential role in it but that in some ways presumes that we want to have a big role in international trade and that's an important way out for economic growth some of course argue against that saying that that is not as critical and exports are not necessarily the way out of wherever we are or the path to where we want to go your comments on that back <laughs> we are a totally knowledge proof society you see there's a problem but we are not comment proof we comment uh, on everything regardless of our knowledge of history how did we get to where we are today the export to gdp ratio in 1991 was 9% or 7% i do not even know i'm overstating and the growth that happened you think that happened without exports i mean our fastest growth is about from 2003 to today in real dollars uh, my calculations are growth has been about 8% for the two decades 2003 to 2022 and just look at what is happening to exports and what is happening to imports during that period why don't they look at it i mean we used to be about 0.7% or 0.8% in terms of our share in the global economy so it has more than doubled actually to 1.8% and this is happening while gdp is rising at peak actually the export gdp ratio had reached about 25% that was from 7% to today it's more like 19 20% So you think we did it without exports? This is pure lack of knowledge of history. Anyway, I just wanted to place that there. This does come up uh, fairly frequently. So the last point and something I mentioned in the beginning, I talked about the Russia-Ukraine war. So not the war in itself, but really your views on where you see the global trade and economy landscape, or the economy and trade landscape in whichever order you would like to put it at this point, and looking at the rest of 2023. I think we are in. Really, we are situated. So I am very upbeat going forward. 
in the next two or three decades, I expect us to be growing 8% or more in real dollars. Finally, I think we'll see whether it pans out or not. But I'm very optimistic that finally this whole China plus one is coming together in favor of India. You know, now the buzz is all around. Perceptions have changed and, you know, they, even a lot of the Western newspapers and magazines, Economist, Time magazine, this, that, which had been so incredibly negative for the last eight or nine years, they're not explaining why they are changing. But you can see that in all their write-ups, I'm beginning to see the change. So the buzz is very different today from what it was even two years ago. And you also see that translating into Apple coming in and a lot of the other manufacturers are coming in. Also, I'm very glad, you know, the Prime Minister has made a big push on the microchip industry, the semiconductors and all. That is uh, also somewhere we ought to be. Uh, you know, there's no question our factor endowments, our, this is also requires uh, a fair bit of labor. It all varies which particular component of that industry we are doing. There are certain parts of that industry in which we ought to be big players. So I think this is coming together. The politics very much is in our favor because I don't see this reconciliation happening between the U.S. and China. And as long as that remains, and China clearly remains very much you know, determined to become first both a regional power, which is the big 500-pound gorilla in Asia, but also in about 10 years' time, it has the ambition to become number one country. And that, of course, simply means that India is the major country which stands in the way. And the United States sees that and the Europeans see that. And so we geopolitically are incredibly well situated. We also have a really very vigilant government in place, very much guarding the interests of India, speaking for the interests of India, and a stable government, very willing to make the changes that need to be made. So I think the situation from the Indian perspective I see is actually more positive than it has ever been probably. And the larger question, I mean, just before we close, is that how are you seeing overall global trade and trade flow trends for the rest of the year or the next couple of years at least? I mean, apart from like a war in Russia, Ukraine, which of course has a lot of destabilizing effect, which may have been controlled to some extent now, uh, do you see things being somewhat conducive to at least a certain level of growth at a global level? I do not see this slowing down. Everybody was predicting that after COVID that somehow, you know, the global economy, you cannot be in it. It's very uncertain, this, that, and the other. What happened? I mean, all these supply chain disruptions we're talking about, you know, even the US-China trade is still booming. In spite of all the press to the negative, if you look at the figures. So, look, the exporters are a very powerful force. They are determined people. They are, I mean, exporters are basically in their own industry is the most successful people. They are the most successful and therefore they find ways to get their goods out to wherever they need to go. I mean, look at the oil trade itself, you know, all the embargoes, etc., etc. In the end, what happened? Russian oil is still flowing everywhere. Thanks to Indian carriers or some Indian carriers. Well, many others. It's not just Indians, but the policy itself. I mean, you know, the Europeans have also designed their policies in such a way that once it comes through India, having been refined into India, then they can buy it. Their own laws also are allowing this. Likewise, Americans, where they needed very critical minerals from China, they never became subject to, or even Russia actually, you know, there are some critical minerals they get from Russia. They never became subject of the embargo. So, policy side as well as the determination of the entrepreneurs, particularly the export-oriented entrepreneurs, will continue, you know, a lot of tensions in the trading system. I understand that even multilateral trading system, WTO, they 
appellate body is in some stress and all. But at the end of the day, if I look at the trade figures, I conclude that for us, for India, the real issue is how well do we continue with our own policy reforms? There is no reason to worry on account of the marketplace itself. That's a large marketplace. Whether it shrinks a little or whether it grows a little is of far less consequence. It is the total size of that market that matters the most for us. Right. So the marketplace is there. Uh, Indian entrepreneurial spirit is, of course, there. Uh, and maybe a few nudges here and there in the policy fund should wrap it up neatly. On that uh, note, thank you so much, Mr. Panagriya, for joining me. My pleasure, Mr. Goindaraj. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>